you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. My name is Jackie Cation, and you've chosen wisely. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Pop Tone. Are you talking about Bowie? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he had an influence on pretty much everybody that was into what we call now alternative rock. Um, absolutely, yeah, because it, Bowie's music was so imaginative. It, it wasn't bland. The lyrics were very different from your, your stock sort of rock and roll of what most other people were doing. Poptone is a band formed by Dan Ash and Kevin Haskins, along with Haskins' daughter Diva. They've been touring the U.S., U.K., and other parts of the world, uh, performing songs from Haskins and Ash's uh, former bands, uh, bands they were in, including Bauhaus, Love and Rockets, Tones on Tail, and uh, I think that's the big three right there. And uh, why David J. didn't join the crew, he was formerly with them in Love and Rockets and Bauhaus, uh, in my house along with Peter Murphy, uh, is unknown, but uh, we saw them back in the fall, and I forgot I even had this interview, but it was a really pretty insightful talk, and so for those of you who enjoy when this is a music podcast, uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, but before we get to that, we have a dumb bit about some goings-on up in Canada I wanted to get to last week, but it is still relevant this week, so let's have a listen. As of January 1st in Ontario, Canada, the minimum wage is now $14 an hour. And uh, this has not arrived without some uh, controversy, as our friends say in Britain. The owner of this downtown Toronto coffee shop is bracing for the worst. Struggling to pay rent down here anyway, now I can't. Within a few months from now, I will be closed. Ontario's minimum wage hike will have to come out of customers' pockets. Prices here are going up 22%. We've had two customers already leave and say Tim Hortons hasn't raised their rates. And this is definitely a problem when you get to a living wage, is, be, is that this money does have to come from somewhere, and there's kind of two sides of the coin here, one being small businesses and one being large corporations. Now, large corporations who have been sitting on millions and millions of dollars over the years uh, can certainly afford to pay the workers more money. There's no argument there, but there are, of course, and, you know, conservatives make this argument all the time, and they're not wrong. A lot of small businesses, this impacts them because their profit margins aren't great. Uh, people that own small businesses aren't super wealthy. They may be living in a slightly better home than you, but in a lot of cases, not really. It's just, you know, two, three people. People, and payroll is your largest expense, whether you're a big corporation or whether you're at what they call a mom and pop store. And uh, Tim Hortons, of course, is the big donut chain up there in Canada. I stand Tim Hortons. Uh, I am a fan. But, uh, well, Tim Hortons kind of got themselves into some trouble. Uh, well, first of all, let's hear what the CBC had to say about how Tim Hortons handled the uh, increase up there in Ontario. Tim Hortons franchisees are contractually forbidden from raising prices, but some are taking other controversial actions. CBC News has now learned several cut paid breaks and clawed back contributions toward employee benefits. So here's kind of the middle area between mom and pop and uh, giant corporation is that if you're a franchise, if you own a franchise and it's doing okay, you're probably doing okay. You're not doing as good as a corporation, obviously, and you're, but you are doing better than the mom and pop store, but still, you're probably more toward the mom and pop end of things. But that was the big controversy up in Canada, is that these franchisees, particularly one owned by the daughter of the founder of Tim Hortons, cut people's uh, benefits, cut their breaks, cut all kinds of other things in order, they say, so they could meet the uh, minimum wage requirements. 
and the premier of Ontario, uh, a lady named Kathleen Wynne, uh, wasn't having it. She will not be swayed by business owners, some of whom are very wealthy, to back away from her passion of caring for those that are less fortunate. That was a spokesman for Premier Wynne speaking at a press conference. Now, not all small businesses, though, are uh, taking this as bad. Well, it is bad news. I mean, they're going to be making less money. But uh, I guess some small businesses uh, in Ontario are handling it a little differently than some of the bigger companies, let's say. This small coffee shop is raising wages even higher than the province is requiring, to $14.75. I don't understand why a large business such as Tim Hortons wouldn't be able to do the same for their workers. The cost? Prices for customers are going up 10%, or about a quarter on a cup of coffee. I don't mind. It doesn't bother me at all. I appreciate the service, and I think everyone has to make a living. And I was poking around on CBC right News now uh, looking people for clips, in poverty, and this and it's basically kind of seems to be the sentiment of a lot of people on welfare Ontario. programs, which, which and, uh, this prevents is the them thing, from too, getting to say hit their potential oh, well, and getting in the workforce. The problem we're going to have with the faster-growing economy, it's a good problem, is we're going to need more people working. Our friend Jimmy Dore says, I'll pay 50 cents more to know that the guy that's making my Big Mac or the gal can go to the doctor when he or she is sick or can stay home if she has the flu or something like that and not get all of us infected. And, you know, the other thing, too, is... Even if you're a franchise, uh, the corporation is taking a lot of money from the franchise in the form of franchise fees. Hey, maybe you take a little less. You're sitting on millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, you can let the franchise pay folks more. Because here's the jive that I don't understand when it comes to people that are against paying people a living wage. And uh, here's uh, Paul Ryan, uh, actually. He'll explain the GOP's position kind of for you. It relates to taxes, but this is kind of their position. Um, we right now are trapping people in poverty, and it's basically trapping people on welfare programs, which, which prevents them from getting to hit their potential and getting in the workforce. The problem we're going to have with a faster-growing economy, it's a good problem, is we're going to need more people working. And so we need to work on our welfare programs so that we can ease the pathway and reduce the barrier from getting people from welfare to work. That's very significant entitlement reform as well. And so that's something we're going to tackle next year. So in a nutshell, conservatives want people working and not being on assistance. But I think everybody wants that, and that's not a, a bad notion. They're not wrong. It's better to work than to not work. Now, there's a lot, for a lot of reasons, people can't work as much. Uh, maybe they've gotten older. There's a lot of reasons people can't work or have trouble finding work. So you got to help those folks. But let's just talk about the, the healthy and the, and the able body. And you always have this jive people say, oh, well, uh, like McDonald's should only pay $8 an hour. And I hate to pick on McDonald's, but everybody knows that they're the preeminent fast food chain. So if you're the preeminent fast food chain, you get recognized as that. In this example, so they are the uh, the big fast food chain, and they people say, well, they shouldn't be. Those are just temporary jobs or uh, entry level jobs. I think you know what? When I'm at McDonald's, it looks like a job to me. Doing all that stuff looks just as much of a job as anything else. If it's a job, it should pay like a job. And where is this endless supply of people getting entry level positions going to come from? You know, that's the thing. Here's a, a news flash for you. Someone's worked in retail and things like that. Restaurants and retail, they don't want turnover. They want people working there for a long time. And the best way to do that, a lot of them have found, is paying people better wages. Now, that's not as simple as it sounds. When I worked at the Cincinnati airport, one of our competitors, we paid, uh, this is back in the mid-2000s, we paid eight fifty an hour to start, and our competitor paid 10 And I think our competitor got slightly better workers, but it isn't as 
quite as clear-cut as you think. Even when you're paying people more, you're not necessarily getting better workers, but you're moving in the right direction. All right, so this is the thing. If, if you're going to call a job work, then you need to pay it like work. And I'm sorry, I don't really have a punchline for this bit, so we'll just head right on to the interview. Poptone are Dan Ash, Kevin Haskins, and Diva. They've been touring the country performing the songs of the bands that Ash and Haskins were in, including Bauhaus, Love and Rockets, and Tones on Tail. Uh, it was a great show. If you have a chance to catch them, they're coming back to the U.S., I believe, in the spring. Here now is our interview with Poptone. I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Good to talk to you. Yeah, I know uh, Danny's calling in in a second, too. Okay. Oh, there he is. Hello. Danny? Hello. Yeah, Hi. what's going on? Hi, Daniel. This is P.F. Wilson from Pop Culture Beast and P.F. Tape Recorder Podcast. How are you doing? Okay, I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you? Terrific. Uh, gotta say, um, uh, I, I came to the party uh, from Love, at Love and Rockets and have been a fan ever since. My wife was got on board at Bauhaus right before you uh, boys broke up for the first time, and she was crushed. But uh, we've been fans for a long, long time. Oh, great. Yeah. That's good. Good to have somebody on our side. Yes, and excited to welcome Diva to the uh, to the proceedings. Uh, right. How did this, Diva, how did you get involved? Yeah, thank in, you. How did you get mixed up in all this? Of course, your your dad is Kevin Haskins, the drummer, but how did you get mixed up, and how did Pop, Pop Tone all come together? Um, I mean... Well, they just, you know, they needed a bass player, and I played bass, so I tried out, and it, it worked out well, so. No. That, that's the extremely short version of it, yeah. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little sick, so. Oh, okay, okay. Simple, we'll, we'll right now. <laughs> but, uh, well, you, from judging from your accent or lack thereof, you grew up in America. Yeah, we moved back, I mean, my, my mom's from... Grew up in in Los Angeles, and her mom and okay. you know, my great my great grandfather lives here, so she's oh. been here a long time. Her family, but um, uh, you know, I was born in England, but then we moved back here when I was around four or five years old. So. Okay, yeah, cool. All right, and then uh, so when putting Pop Tone together. Um, I guess when you're out on this tour, this is going to be another leg of, of the tour. Is, is is the set list going to fluctuate a lot? Because there are probably a lot of people like me and my wife, even, that were, we kind of came into it at different times and are fans of kind of different eras of the whole catalog. Or are you guys just pretty much going to pick these are our favorite songs? This essentially is what we're going to play. Yeah, we're, that, essentially it's, it's the same set. We're, we're sort of adding or subtracting a song here and there, but essentially we work out it. You know, uh, back in uh, January, February time of this, you know, beginning of the year. So we sort of worked out a very a bunch of different songs, and then we got the order of the songs. And funnily enough, it was pretty much set in stone from the get-go from the first gig. The, the set did flow really well. So there's a couple of songs that have come and gone, but essentially it's going to be the same set through to the end of the year. Okay. Uh, it's I about 70% stones, 70 stones and Love Rockets and the Bauhaus track. Cool. All right. That sounds like a nice oh, mix. A couple of a couple of other things we're doing just fun. All right. Oh, sounds awesome. 
So uh, I want to talk a little bit about influence. I'm kind of familiar with yours, Daniel. But Diva, when you were growing up getting interested in music, were you a fan of music of that era? Or more were you following what was kind of contemporary, what your friends were listening to? Or what was what was that like? Yeah, I mean, um, I my parents played a lot of music around the house, and they, you know, would take me to shows a lot. So I actually really liked, um, you know, a lot of the music that they would listen to. Um, that was in the '90s, so I think I'd be like New York and <laughs> stuff. But and you know, I also grew up listening to my dad's music, and I was all, always a fan and liked it. Um, when I was about 13, 12 or thirteen, he took me to see the Spectacles documentary okay. the theory, and that really really spoke to me at that time in my life I got really into punk music and that's kind of when I started writing my own songs and getting more into playing bass and everything so um, I have kind of like a lot of my own musical interests now that I was um, from his but definitely formatively like was a big influence so okay now, I know, Daniel, historically, Bauhaus kind of rejected that goth thing that was kind of tossed on them, and really a lot of the influence was, like, Bowie and glam. And, of course, you know, after losing Bowie, I think people kind of realize that not only did it influence, you know, bands like you, but even uh, bands far away from you on the musical spectrum, like OMD, were also influenced by uh, Bowie and Eno. Um, is, would, would you uh, agree with that? That was kind of a, a broad... Um, he was kind of a broad influence on everybody, not just in kind of the music he did. If you're talking about Bowie, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he had an influence on pretty much everybody that was into what we call now alternative rock. Yes. Um, absolutely, yeah, because it, Bowie's music was so imaginative. It, it wasn't bland. The lyrics were very different from your, your stock sort of rock and roll of what most other people were doing. He stood out. What, what I personally loved about Bowie in particular was that he could make something very commercially successful but also totally cool um, you know uh, it wasn't no sellout stuff it was uh, and that even goes on to stuff like Let's Dance that album which was probably his most, most commercial I think now Rogers actually uh, produced that but again it was credible. It was. Uh, it wasn't embarrassing. It, it stood the test of time really well. So going back to your original question, yeah, I mean, we were all influenced by it. If you were in a so-called, yeah, the whole punk scene was influenced by Bowie. I mean, whether they admit to that, I know people like Susie and Banshee just from the way they look. Yeah. And the Damned, uh, you know, the Damned as well with their visuals. Um, even you know, Sex Pistols as well. I mean, whether they admit to or not, I mean, Bowie was a huge influence. Because it just sort of blew the lid off everything. It was so very different um, visually. Um, that was the main thing for me. There was a handful of bands around that time that completely changed my life. I mean, it's that cliche thing about music changing his life. I remember when I first saw and heard Roxy Music in particular, and David Bowie and T-Rex, those three, and Iggy Pop, Iggy and the Stooges. That changed my life, you know, the first time I heard that stuff and saw what those guys looked like. It was completely different from... My older brother's generation, for example, which was Beatles and Stones, you know, and, yeah. and The Who, and and uh, I, I was brought up to like a strict diet of the Beatles, the Stones, The Who, uh, the Kinks, and Small Faces. Yeah. That's all my older brother played. And then suddenly Bowie came along with the whole glam rock thing, and T-Rex, and Roxy Music, all in 1972, and suddenly I was at home. <laughs> I found my people. It was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
this is what I feel like, and this is what I want to look like, and yada, yada, yada. So, it, it, yeah, it completely... The old cliche thing, you hear everybody from Boy George to, I don't know, Steve Jones and Pistols, to everybody he always talks about Bowie doing Starman on top of the pops and, and that particular performance when he puts his arm around Mick Ronson, that sort of changed everything. I don't know what was going on there. It was just like, what is this? It was the, 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 the androgyny of the whole thing was, um, <laughs> I don't know, I was certainly starstruck by it all. I think the last time anything like that had happened, as far as those extreme flamboyant visuals is concerned, it's like Little Richard's. Oh, yeah. Which again was Bowie's hero in the night from the 1950s. I mean, if you think about, you know, a gay black man, a flamboyant gay black man with that haircut and that makeup in the 1950s, that must have been completely outrageous. And then Bowie, obviously, that was a huge influence on him doing the whole Ziggy thing. So yeah. it certainly had that effect on us. I mean, it just blew the lid off everything. And, uh, and how about Bill? Wow, in big letters, yeah. capital letters, you know? And how about uh, Velvet Underground? Because somewhere in my CD collection, I have a, a, a you guys doing "Waiting for the Man" live in Liverpool. Oddly, also done by yeah, that, that, that was that was huge as well. That was huge influence because I'm not usually into lo-fi stuff. I really love deluxe production. Okay, but there are certain bands where that lo-fi thing really, really works. And the two entities that I can think of is Velvet Underground and Iggy and the Stooges, where and also MC5 where it completely connects, and I love it, and it's lo-fi. Um, yeah, big influence as well, huge, the whole Lou Reed thing. And, and, and again, with Lou Reed, when he was working with Bowie and Mick Ronson in 72, doing the Transformer album, which again is one of those classic records where every song is brilliant, and the production's brilliant, and the attitude is brilliant, and the visuals are brilliant, yada, yada, yada. It's just one of those perfect moments in time for me. Yeah. You know? Oh, not, definitely. not everybody was into glam rock because I remember at school because we were like 15 when that was going on it was like the kids you know you know, the, the guys that you, you know the jocks didn't exactly love that stuff they hated it they thought it was a bunch of you know faggots and all that stuff <laughs> and yeah, yeah. yeah and we loved it because it was completely different and it was also embracing your, your, the feminine side as well which I loved you know because you know all that bloke stuff the jock stuff you know sports and everything I I have zero interest in so this thing is like a breath of fresh air coming yeah. into the room you know just like what is this this is from another planet and it completely appealed to me and you know my friends at the time right and yet you guys went on to make really what became kind of your own sound that in turn influenced a bunch of other bands well yeah that's well that's how it works from generation to generation otherwise we'd still be banging on bits of wood in, in the in the jungle, you know, yep. it has to progress and it has to change. You know, one generation influences the next. It's like something Viva mentioned before about Bjork. I mean, again, that was wow, this is so different because her vocal approach was completely different and her visuals and her manner, you know, was, was, was very different from everything else going on. That's why she's, I mean, that first album was brilliant. Um, again, a, a game changer, you know, and also another one that comes. Uh, the top of my head in my mind is um, uh, the first Border Set album. That again was one of those records that's changed everything. I mean, the sound that came that record, you know, and then there's another one that comes to mind is OK Computer. Um, that was really different, and it's a tough album to listen to. I can't listen to it all the way through, but to me, that was the 
dark side of the moon of the 90s, you know, okay computer by Radiohead. So, you know, every, usually it works every eight or ten years, you'll get something that goes, boom, here's something different, you know. And oh, yeah. uh, the next thing is going to be, but that's what usually happens. It's ever since, since the 1950s, I think that's been the case. Um, and, of course, college radio in the 80s, a big part of that, especially for the Love and Rockets part of uh, your career. And i kind of been thinking about this for the past couple of weeks because I've been in contact with a buddy of mine who was also into college radio. And how big was college radio, particularly for for that point? I mean, I know Bauhaus benefited from it, but really it had that big push. Um, yeah, you know what? Um, college radio, Rockets, was the huge. We would not have made a mark without college radio in the USA. It was huge for us. And the one name, actually, that really I remember was just, uh, somebody called Dusty Street. She was on it, you know, and she was really, really plugging us. Uh, yeah, I just remember going to tons of radio stations in the, in the campuses, you know, colleges. Yeah. And that was huge for us. Huge. Yeah, we wouldn't have made a mark without those stations, so a massive thank you to those guys. Now, of, of course, oddly, I, I dialed into the call at the top of the hour, and you were finishing up with uh, the station in Cleveland, which, weirdly, I grew up listening to. I'm in Cincinnati now, but um, good old WCSB. Uh, so, uh, n- nice kids. Um, but uh, as far as making music today, and Diva, maybe you can speak to this as well, it, it's, it seems in a way it's a lot harder because, you know, s- s- selling music is a lot more difficult, getting people to come out to live shows seems to be the way to go, but that's not maybe as, you know, lucrative as selling millions of albums and songs and, and, and things like that. Uh, how do you see that it's changed um, since then? Are you asking Diva or me on that one? Uh, I, both. Let's start with Diva. Diva, how do you uh, respond to the yeah. challenge of being of making a career at this point, whereas, uh, you know, your your dad and your uncle kind of had, like, radio support and could sell records and tour to make money, but where it's, a, it's a different yeah. thing for you. I don't know, yeah, I mean, I've been making music um, now, you know, with bands and by myself, like, for 13, 15 years <laughs> and I've never made a living off of it, and, um, you know, I keep doing it. I mean, I am, you know, now playing with my dad, it's a little bit different, but that, you know, coming from another time. Yeah. My husband runs his own uh, record label, and so we're very much involved in the in the music industry. You know, like in a very independent record label. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't really expect to make a living off of playing music at this point, uh, to be honest. Hmm. But I think a lot of you know, I think a lot of things in our society and our culture are kind of. Uh, transforming, kind of falling apart, and hopefully will transform into something that is more sustainable and supportive for everybody. You know, there's a lot of people that are struggling to make a living now. Yeah, so. I think I think these days more than ever, it's really, <laughs> I think it's really really tough to make, especially if you're an up and coming band. Yeah, I was looking at some. I was an interview actually with. Dave Navarro and on Howard Stern the other day. I was watching it on YouTube, and he was talking about just what you're talking about now. And just for the young bands, it's so difficult because even if you get signed up, let's say to a major label, they were saying that okay, you got to get the right photographer to do your photo shots, you got to get the right guy to do your videos. You're just the this, the that, 
And then if the first if the first song of the album doesn't work, you're done. They scrap you and on to the next. So the turnover is is huge. Yeah. You know? So there's no follow through. Everything we live in a society now that's so instant. If the first thing don't work, it's like okay, done, next, and that everything's speeding up. Nobody has time to actually. I mean, I was saying. God, I did an interview about eight years ago where the guy says to me, why don't you do an album instead of an EP? So I said to this guy interviewing me, when was the last time you sat down and listened to a whole album? And he couldn't remember. And this was about eight years ago. So people don't have the patience to listen to a whole album a lot of the time. Anyway, yeah. everything's so turned over so quick. So that follows through to actually, if you've been sustaining, you can actually um, be in a band to actually make a living. It's, you know, these days, let's be honest, you give the album away for free and it advertises the live gig. Right, right. That can really, can be really a catch-22 situation because without the money, you can't get on the road to, and play the stuff live anyway. And without the money, you can't make the album in order to go out on the road. So I think for this generation, it's really damn tough. And it's, it's weird. It's like we have a situation where everything, anybody, the one saving grace, is that you can get it together. If you can get it together to go into a proper studio and get one, your best track, recorded well, you can stick it on YouTube and cross your fingers and open the best. You can do, You can make a great video with your iPhone. So there's the positive side of it. Yeah, it's so say, the technology. If anybody that's starting out, get your best song, record it well as you possibly can, do a great, fun, interesting video for it, and put it on YouTube, and then see what happens. Because that is the one thing where you can reach a hell of a lot of people. Whereas in the old days, if you didn't have that record deal, you weren't going anywhere at any time. So there's the positives for that. That's the one good thing. So, you know, and Diva, I know you've been doing that. So, you know, it's just a matter of whether anybody or everybody goes, I love that song, and everybody plays it, everybody sends it to their friends, they tell everybody about it, and then you have a hit song on your hand. And what I mean by a hit song is you have something where it can take you to the next level. And that is like, that's in the hands of the gods, you know, whether you get that step up. Yeah. And that's how yeah. it works. That's the big difference. That's it. Yeah. So do you feel like... So some of the that's it. We've got everything sorted out. We've got no more problems now. There's your answer, guys. <laughs> Just make a great record and put it on YouTube and you'll be as big as Justin Bieber before you can say, boo to a goose. Uh, well, do you feel, Daniel, for you though that that the that the pressure is off? And I guess even, I mean, because you've have a nice catalog behind you that I still think people are interested in. Or is there still kind of that pressure to you know to, and that artistic pressure on yourself just to keep you know creating and and getting it out to the people? Yeah, there is. It's still it's always there. It's always nagging. I mean, I, you know, there's a part of me that would love to just ride my motorcycles all the time and just retire. And then there's another part of me that says, oh, God, here it is again. I've got to do something else. I've got to do this again. It's just a, an ongoing thing. Um, it's different for everybody, I suppose. You, you know, it's, it's, like, that's in the hands of the gods again on what, what actually is going to happen. Uh, I, I haven't got an answer to that. Yeah, I mean, to answer your question partially, I've still got that nagging voice for me that always has to keep doing something new. But, you know, as I said, there's another part of me, because I'm 60 years old now, so there's a part of me that's like, well, if I don't get an actual hit single, it's, it's, I can't really get excited about it. Uh, if I, well, again, I've only, had a, I've only had a couple of hits ever anyway, so I'm not really in that category 
of having loads of hit singles or anything, but what I mean by a hit is something that a load of people know about, yeah. not just the pop Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, something that's actually commercially viable that actually gets to the next level. And these days, the next level would be to get your song, for example, in a really cool film. Yes. Or in an advert on the TV, you know, advertising something, whatever. That's the next level. Otherwise, you can't make any money. I mean, you can't function to, and do music for a living if you don't get those breaks. Yeah. Well, so people... that's, that's very, I mean, the big thing now is to get your stuff into film and TV, you know, uh, apart from obviously doing the, doing the live thing. Yeah. Um, so it's totally different. It's that you give the music away for free now to advertise the live gig. And you also can make ends meet if you sell a decent amount of merchandise. So uh, that's yeah. completely the opposite. As you might know, in the past, you go on the road so people walk into a shop and buy a CD. Those days are completely gone. Yep. So now it's the other way around. The album's free and it advertises like it. And uh, it's just the way it is. So you work within those confines. Well, great. Well, I, I think appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, we'll, we'll try to get this uh, interview up in uh, in time to promote the the rest of the tour. We'll see you in Cincinnati in like two weeks, I think. Looking very looking forward to it. And uh, we're we're get- yeah, we're gonna be playing. Um, hold on a second. We're playing in in Cincinnati yes. on September twenty fourth at yes. the Twentieth Century Theater. Yeah, it's a nice place too. You'll really enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, great. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, and uh, there's yeah, a... we have all our tour, we have all our tour dates and information how to get tickets and everything on our website, which is toptonetheband.com. Yep, and should have a good crowd. There was a big, uh, uh, big alternative station here in the eighties uh, and nineties, ninety-seven X. Even though it's long gone, I think a lot of people still turn up for shows uh, for bands of that era. So uh, we're looking forward to a good time. Okay, great, great. Well, good to be with you. So all right, much. thanks. Bye bye. Okay, bye. Thanks again to Dan Ash and Diva from Poptone for being on the show. You can catch Poptone if you're in Mexico City on February 3rd, and uh, hopefully they'll be adding some dates in Europe. I presume that is the plan of attack next. And if you're a fan of any of those bands or all of those bands that uh, that Dan Ash and Kevin Haskins were in, Bauhaus, Tones on Tail, uh, Love and Rockets, why then this is the show for you. I uh, didn't think they'd be playing as many recognizable songs as they did in retrospect. And when we were there, we were like, oh, yeah, yeah. And some of it was like later Love and Rockets. Um, so they did play the one Tones on Tail song that you all know. That was Go, of course. They played a couple Bauhaus tunes. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. And so that brings us to our song of the week. Uh, this week, it is from our friends here, and I say, well, friends, we've met them before. Uh, they're from here. Uh, Walk the Moon, they're from Cincinnati. They have a new album out, or a newish album out, and that album, and that album came out in 2017, and it's called What If Nothing. And uh, they had a single from it. The single was uh, called, uh, let me see, what was which was the single? One Foot, I believe, was the single. And uh, did not do very well. I think I got the 80 here in the U.S. and didn't chart elsewhere, which is weird because they've only had the one big hit, you know, Shut Up and Dance. They've got a lot of great tunes. So uh, if you have a notion, go back through and check them out. One of the singles from the album was a tune called Surrender, and it kind of puts me in the mind of, like, uh, late 70s uh, alternative, uh, maybe, like, uh, a One in Rome, maybe uh, Ice House off of Australia, kind of like kind of that mature 
band sound, but still alternative, kind of bringing in kind of that soul influence, but still kind of sounding almost European in a way, even though they're from Cincinnati. So it's uh, kind of an interesting sound, uh, a little different from the first single from this album. Anyway, this track is called Surrender. It's our song of the week on PS Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. Thousand leagues beneath the ocean. 